0: Cosmic Canvas Studio presents What Lies Between Sleep. Evening and or morning friends, welcome to Dreamlights, the only podcast that's being played on your preferred podcast player right now. I'm in a bit of a moral dilemma here, and I'm not sure what I should do. Check out this email I got from Franklin, my new book guy. It came in this morning. Master Bernard, I have contacted both parties about the status of their books. The first owner has unfortunately passed away, and their books sold at an estate auction. I tried to track down the buyer, but the sole remaining granddaughter was rather unhelpful. My apologies, but I fear the investigation will go no further for quite some time. The second individual that I spoke to has asked to convey a message to you. Below is a verbatim transcription of his direct address to you. To the concerned customer, there is only one reason that I would part with this book, and that would be if you were in any danger. I could not sell it in clean conscience otherwise. Say the word, and I will ship you the book immediately. And payment will be discussed later. Sincerely, M. Oh, man. What an offer, right? I could get this big, fancy book shipped to me and pay later? Hell, I could just photocopy the words and send it back. But it would hinge on the teeny-tiniest little lie. And by lie, I mean outright fabrication. Clearly this M knows about Giallo, right? And he's aware enough to know that I could be in serious, life-threatening danger and wants to help. That's a really admirable guy. So, I wouldn't just be lying and stealing from some random jerk. I'd be ripping off a respectful man who clearly has my best interest at heart. Quite the moral dilemma, huh? What would you do, dear listener? (sighs) Yeah, I'm not gonna tell him I'm in danger. It wouldn't be right. Plus, I mean, at some point in the future, I probably will be in danger, and this will just be my get-out-of-jail-free card. (laughs) Just kidding. I mean, mean, sort of. (sighs) I know deep down I'm not that kind of guy. Not the kind of person who can take advantage of the kindness and generosity of others. It really limits what you can do in this world, but at the end of it, all you have is your morality. Right? So, back to our regularly scheduled programming where I make continuously poor decisions, and you all wait for the report! Today, we're going to be delving into what Plidwix called the Ixwill Cipher. Apparently, just staring at it with intent will call her to you. So Plidwick's called it a cipher, right? And cipher means code. All these symbols, all these words, they're just jammed together and it goes on for pages and pages. Ripe for deciphering, I think. Now, reading it is enough to get the Great Dreamer's attention, but she didn't seem to be terribly dangerous at the time. So, there couldn't be any harm in figuring out what all these symbols mean. As I look at these pages, I keep thinking about that poor girl, Abigail. They said she was crazy and a blasphemer, but she knew something. She knew the truth about all of this. But, unlike the other people I have read about, she was a big fan of the Great Judges. She embraced what they had to offer. Do you think Abigail is trapped in Giallo, Like one of those screaming women who were held by Plidwicks, Or did she manage to ascend and become something greater? This pamphlet promises all sorts of powers and gifts for those who follow the great judges, but somehow I doubt that's really the case. Especially when you consider what happened to the last few folks we've read about. <sighs> Still... I'd have to think that your life was pretty desperate for you to seek these these demiurges for help. They certainly don't have our best interest in mind. Anyway, so back to the cipher. I'm going to have to try and do some code breaking to see if I can figure out what these words mean. So I'm going to have to work with a few basic assumptions here. The first one is that the Ixwell cipher was written by Abigail and is original in its design. This means that since she wrote in English, the code might contain secrets also in English. But that is a pretty big assumption. I mean, for all I know, the cipher could have been copied from some other source, and that source might not even be in English. Or even human, for that matter. But hey, if it's in French, I should be able to decode it. So, Cryptography 101, as found in a guide I read online. Frequency Analysis. E-T-A-O-I-N. These are the most common letters used in the English language. Therefore, they'll be the ones repeated the most in the cipher. All I need to do is look at the document, and then look for the most frequently used symbols. Then, it's a matter of guessing which letters those are, and then plugging them into the section I'm working on to see if it makes any sense. Rinse and repeat. I am aware that there are programs that can help with this kind of stuff, and I could easily post a cipher online for outside help, but I ain't really worry about the effects of spreading this information online. So I'm going to get cracking. The next recording will be an update on my progress. Okay, so it is in English. I was able to determine the word THE, which gave me T, H, and E. After that, it was just really a matter of plugging in the blanks and making educated guesses. Now, the cipher is huge and it'll take me a few days to get it all figured out, but I've gotten the first part deciphered. You guys ready? Section 1. The Regret of a Girl There is a limited time that I have left to share these words, for my mind has become fractured beyond any hope of healing. As I write these words, the other half of me scrambles them, determined to hide my great secrets. My name is Abigail, and I am the one who wrote such a pamphlet. I was the girl who painted herself in silver and cried the praises of Giallo in the streets. War came to this land and took my father and brothers. Disease ravaged my mother and the soldiers my body. I had lost much and wept for hours in the night, unable to sleep. The hunger kept me up. The sound of my mother's last whimpers, the voices of the men who told me that the home was to be taken away, all echoed in my mind. Three days we had left in the house before the bank would lock the doors and throw us out, and in those three days I did not sleep. There came a knocking one night, by a beautiful woman, adorned in silver, with a mouth like a thousand stars. Fair child, she whispered, you must escape with me to a place far away. And I took her hand, hoping that wherever this woman took me, there would be food to eat. And to a great ocean she carried me, taking me through the air as if it were nothing more than walking on clouds. The sights I saw, the smells of ocean, the calls of the wonderful women, all with filled cheeks and bright smiles, waving at me from the water, asking me to dive in. And there she was, in her unyielding glory, the great dreamer Plidwix towering over her flock and waiting for me. Her hands outstretched, asking me to come and rest against her bosom, to become her daughter. I had lost my own mother. I had no family. This strange place was warm and safe. The great dreamer was kind and loving. How could I say no? And so I leapt from the clouds and into the hands of the nymph mother. My own skin became adorned with silver and my hair grew long and golden. I splashed in the waters, and I swam in the stars. My hunger was gone. I could command the winds beneath me, to stir them under heels so that I may walk across the air and move through the sky. They all sang joyous songs of my entrance to the sisterhood, and I was given by the great dreamer a task, a task to prove my love and devotion to my new mother. I must return to the window I had escaped from and find a sleeping woman. I must whisper a phrase to her in her dreams. (laughs) Weird stuff, right? And the phrase she's supposed to say is actually written here, but I'm going to omit it for right now. I don't want to utter it out loud in case it does something horrible to me. Or one of you. Anyway, continuing on. That was the night I entered into the realm of Giallo and shed my old form. My body, when returned to the waking world, was hot too hot, as if burned by a constant naked sun. The only thing that would cool my skin was silver paint, paint that I had to steal. I had made some kind of pact, this much I knew, but was the great dreamer a devil? How could a devil offer me such comfort in my time of pain? But an angel would not ask of me to whisper such words into the ears of those who sleep. I knew of many women who lived in the town, but most were married in houses that were well-kept. The very sight of me, a ragged and weary woman, arms dripping silver, gave them reason to shutter the windows and close the doors. But there was one, a home full of warmth and kindness, a place where the family, poor and black, welcomed anyone who needed a place to lay their heads. They had been slaves once, but now they were free. Food was short, and the mouths who hungered were numerous, but they were friendly enough to a woman such as myself. I wandered in the early evening to find them sitting around a fire in the back, singing old songs that were sung on the plantations. I was welcome to sit and listen to the fiery words of a boy who wanted to become a preacher, the boy who had been first in his family to learn his letters. They looked at me with pity, and one even offered me the last of her food, but hunger no longer existed within me. I sat amongst them for hours and watched the women, wondering who I would whisper to. These were kind folks, and for the first time I wondered if the words I would deliver would bring harm to the woman who heard them. The great dreamer was kind to me, but I had been instructed to keep my task a secret. Does benevolence rely on such secrets? In the end, I thanked them and departed leaving them to continue their celebrations of freedom and family. In the black of night, I crawled through the open window of a home that had shunned me. If the great dreamer had ill intentions, I should deliver the words upon those who deserved such cruelty, and if it were a gift I were imparting, I would return to that kind family and grant them all what they deserved. Okay, we're back, and here's the last section I have deciphered. That night was most regrettable for the stranger who lived in the red house. I whispered the words in her ear, carefully leaning over her still and unmoving body. At once, her left eye opened, flickering with a silver glint. She tried to scream, to cry out, but her voice was gone. And, God forgive me, I found my silvery hands grabbing at her hair. Pulling her out of the bed, her husband lay inches away from her, snoring blissfully, unaware of the struggle. I felt compelled, forced to drag this woman out of the window. She knew of this desire and fought back, pulling away, desperate to be free of my grasp. But my hands were so strong, stronger than I had ever known. I pulled her to the edge and with a heave, cast her out into the night sky. She vanished behind the frame and I gazed out to see of her fate. Had I murdered her? Would I see a corpse strewn on the ground? No. For all the night was still and quiet. The moon cast its silvery light upon the ground, showing me nothing. I gazed up at the heavens to see the stars moving, twisting, twinkling as if they were eyes blinking, and in that moment I knew my new mother could see me and I saw that she was happy. Oh, what wretched fate had befallen that stranger. What had I done? My first sister nymph had arrived in my time of pain and ushered me into a place of joy. But this woman, who had children and a husband, whose larders were filled with food, had been taken away. Where did she go? How could I ever live with myself? I slipped away into the night, broken by what I had done. I made my way to the river and washed my hands and arms the cleanse them of the paint and the sin I had committed, but the burning returned. Yet I resolved to endure this pain as penance. I rested beside a tree, weeping for hours until the darkness of sleep overtook me, and I dreamt once again of that ocean, the place that echoed with the cries and calls of the nymphs in the water, laughing and singing their songs to me, but returning to such a place. I found no smiling specters nor calls of joy. There was naught but silence. And there she was, the stranger, tied to a rock jutting out of the waters, crying for mercy. The great dreamer loomed above and whispered such terrible things to the stranger, offering great pleasures and freedoms in exchange for her dreams. Yet the woman was too afraid to speak with reason. All she could cry out was the name of her child. "'Jonas! Jonas! Where is he? Where is he?' This went on for a great time until Plidwix announced that she had grown bored. She placed her thumb atop the rock and pressed with great effort until the woman ceased to move entirely. The body was dropped into the waters, and the laughter and singing began once again. I woke up shortly after. Upon waking, I found myself with a fresh bucket of paint and my right arm submerged to free my body from the burning again. Yet, I had been asleep. How then did my body move of its own accord? Of this I did not know. There was a great clamor around the red house. The wife, Susan Phillips, had been found, drowned in her own bed. The doctors believed that a new disease was causing the lungs to fill with fluid. The house was condemned and burned down for fear of a new sickness to be spread. I had brought a great cruelty to a woman whose only crime was to look at me without pity and to call her children close as I walked by. This was not a crime befitting death. In spite of the pain, I cleansed my arms again and prayed for forgiveness. Three days I walked the streets, too fearful to sleep. I worried that my false mother would call me to another task and that I would take the life of yet another. But, in those three days, I felt not a single pang of hunger. The only thing I could feel deep in my stomach was guilt at what I had done, and fear of what I would do the next time sleep came to claim me. Whoo, is some intense stuff. Poor Abigail. I can only imagine the horrors she went through. It gives me the shivers just thinking about it. I think that's going to be everything I cover in today's episode. I could translate a bit more, but to be honest, it's it's a bit much. I'll just be translating more of the cypher later this week, and I'll put up a new show when I've got a decent chunk ready to go. And now, of course, it's time for everyone's favorite segment, The Emails. Let's check it out. Today, we have two different missives. The first one is from Alice. Dear Bernard, I find the existence of what you call to be the Black Gate very interesting. When I was a little girl, I would have the most vivid of dreams, but sometimes I would reach the end of the dreamscape, where I couldn't go any further. A large black gate would always block me off. Do you think you can enter Giallo from your dreams? That is an interesting question, Alice. Uh, I've been experimenting with the idea, but coming to a waking state in a dream is very difficult to do. I've thought about seriously delving into lucid dreaming, but I don't know. It seems like a serious discipline, and frankly, I'm not sure if these two areas are actually connected. Hmm, maybe I will start focusing more on lucid dreaming. I'm not sure. I'll keep you posted, though. And our last email is from Tom. Dear Bernie, please, for the love of God, stop calling me Bernie. I've been doing my own research on Giallo, and I'm curious as to why I can't really find a lot of websites talking about the place. Most of the time, the few sites that I do find are full of references to Illuminati, Lizard People, and The Matrix. Why is that? I've been thinking about this too. The fact that most of this information is hard to access really points to one of two things. The first is that the people who really possess true information about it, they die before they have a chance to share it with the others. Or, there are forces that want to remove this information. I mean... We've seen in a few of these stories that the Demiurges do have business in the waking world, right? If all of humanity was aware of these beings, then perhaps they wouldn't have such an easy time preying upon us. Just a thought, but it does make sense. Well, that about covers today's episode, folks. This is Bernard Sanderson saying, Nightlights are the most basic form of self-defense. See ya! Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. If you want to have one of your emails read by me on air, hop on Patreon and subscribe. Your support can help this podcast continue to grow and thrive. Check the show notes or head on over to www.whatliesbetweensleep.com for more info. And I'll see you next week.